Welcome to Core 242 Podcast, brought to you by Core Community Covenant Church. Now let's dive into the Word of God with Pastor Max and Pastor Trish. As we study this classic uh, covenant that God makes with his people, that it will enrich you and that you'll find a new love for God's law. Um, If you read through Psalms, uh, I remember as a young teenager reading through some of the Psalms and you hear David how much he loves God's law and he's in love with the law of God and I just thought it was so weird I'm like who has that much passion for law like law is dry and boring and um, monotonous and it's and it it um, controls you and kind of takes the fun out of things you know you don't do this don't do that don't do this don't do that why would he have so much love for the law and uh, I've learned over the years as I've studied God's law and I've studied his word to have that same passion and that same love because we realize that his law is an act of love. His law is not to control us, but to give us boundaries, to give us guardrails so that we don't fall into harm, so that we are able to live a healthy and happy life, so that we have good relationship with God and good relationship with others. So as we get into the Ten Commandments, we want to start to change that framework of laws being something that is a list you know, that for party poopers that God takes all the fun out of our life, but instead that they are life-giving, that there's something that's meant to teach us how to love God better and how to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Absolutely. And a lot, a lot of times people might wonder when, when sermon series like that comes up, why as Christians do we have to look at the old law? Why is that important to us? I thought we're free from the law and everything else. And we need to Remember the teachings of Jesus Christ when, when he actually looks about these kind of laws. And uh, if you have your Bible, want to open up your uh, Bible app. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 34 uh, through 36. So Jesus being, being questioned, first he was questioned by the Sadducees, and now he's questioned by the Pharisees. Verse 34, it says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with a question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. So he kind of, this is what we hold on to as Christians, right? Forget the Ten Commandments. Forget the 613 uh, laws that are in, in the Old Testament and Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and all those other fun books. We're going to hold on to these two. What the great, good thing about this too is they are just out there and we can now generalize we can just have this peaceful graceful merciful relationship with god as christians say i just love god and i love people the problem is is how do you do that that's really complicated and the good thing is about it about that is that now we can look back to the old testament look into the old laws and it will show you a little bit closer of what that looks like so what we're going to share today is, is kind of the beginning of how the love God and love people is the Ten Commandments only summarized. And we're going to expand 
those two commandments into the ten. So what what he's saying is is that Jesus did not um, did not come to abolish. Sometimes we think the Old Testament is irrelevant because we have the New Covenant, we have the New Testament, and it's just Jesus just says, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself." So the other commandments don't matter. But what Jesus says is that those two commandments summarize mm-hmm. all the law and the prophets. So he doesn't say forget the law and forget the prophets. What he's saying is. It doesn't matter if you follow all 613 Levitical laws if you have not love. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if you follow all of the rules of the Ten Commandments if the love is not the the guiding um, motivation behind it. And to to just highlight what we're saying, if you have your, again, just turn to Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus says this, these words. He says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In other words, Jewish people had had the law and they were going through the motions of holy living, of righteous living, of living in the kingdom of God and what God expected of them. But they didn't necessarily love God and they didn't necessarily love one another. They were just going through the legal motions. They were guided by legalism. And so he says, I did not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In other words, he came to give them meaning. He came to give them purpose. And all of those laws actually pointed to the life and ministry of Jesus. So they were really a foreshadowing of the coming of Jesus. So there were laws that they were following that they didn't even understand would help them to identify when the Messiah came. But because they were just going through the motions and there was no love, they didn't recognize him when he came. So this goes on to say, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything has been accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaching, teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So in other words, if you kind of dismiss the commandments, but you love the Lord your God and and you depend on grace, you might still make it into the kingdom, but you're just making it in by the skin of your teeth. (laughs) But if you love the Lord your God and you use the law as a framework for holy living, you use his law as a means of guiding you towards righteousness, then you will be called great in the kingdom. And I don't know about you, but I I don't want to make it in just like a squeak. I want to make sure that when I get to the kingdom that he welcomes me in with open arms and that I I don't come in smelling like fire because I just barely made it out of the flames. Uh, I want to make sure that I I enter in with something um, glorious. So it also goes on to say, uh, after that, it says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. Now the Pharisees were the ones who had just questioned Jesus. The Pharisees were the ones who asked him, what is the greatest commandment? They were testing him because the Pharisees were experts in the law. They were the ones who everyone looked to because they followed, they they not only understood the law, but they knew how it was supposed to be practiced. And they were the ones who set guidelines for others on how to live and how to practice the commandments faithfully. So they were the the epitome, the example of what someone who, who followed the commandments was supposed to be. And yet Jesus says, Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
And so the question would have been, well, if they can't enter the kingdom of heaven, then who can? Who can enter the kingdom of heaven? Uh, Matthew chapter 19. You got that one? So Matthew chapter 19, we actually see this play out. A rich young man comes up and says to Jesus, uh, this is Matthew 19, verse 16. Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Notice again, Jesus does not say, forget the commandments. Just follow me. He says, obey the commandments. And the rich, the, the rich young man says, which ones? And Jesus replies, get these. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. Where, do, where are most of these commandments found? These are part of the Ten Commandments. So he points them to the Ten Commandments. And the young man says, all of these I have kept, the young man said. What still do I lack? And then Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, sell your possessions, give to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. And this is the point I was making. They say, who then can be saved? If the Pharisees can't be saved... And this rich young ruler who is supposedly, if you're rich, you were blessed by God, and he's followed all the commandments, and he can't enter the kingdom of God, who then can be saved? And Jesus' answer is this. He looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And again, what was missing was not the law. The law in and of itself had been, was considered holy and was given by God. But what, what allowed the law to be redeeming and life-giving rather than something that stifled and killed us was the fact that we're doing it now out of love. Love is the key. So as we study the Ten Commandments, we have to remember that these are laws that teach us how to love God and how to love others. Um, they're even broken down that the first four commandments teach us how to relate to God and the last five through ten commandments uh, teach us how to love others. So we're going to break these down week by week, each commandment, but we have to see how they relationally tie us to God and how they relationally orient us towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, and I, I love that story about a young rich ruler is that he got checked. He literally got checked. He said, I've done all these commandments. I followed all these commandments. And Jesus, his, his response was, if you follow these commandments and you knew about loving God and loving people, then selling your possessions should be another step for you. And when that was hard for him, that was a reflection of why he was following these commandments. He was just doing it just to follow, just to take the steps. There was no love behind it. There was no reason why he was doing that. And when we look into the Ten Commandments, we're going to see why we should follow these commandments, why it's our desire it's our pleasure it's our honor to follow these commandments and they become not these law things that the rules that we have to do but it becomes our pleasure to do those things um for for us as as a husband and wife it's it's not a burden for me to do something for my wife because i love her i want to take care of her i want to help her out i want to buy her flowers i want to take her out for a meal i want to 
do the laundry. I want to wash the dishes, whatever it is. I want to do that. I'm not doing that because I have to. And I'm like, oh, otherwise I'm a horrible husband. No, because out of the love that I have for her, I want to do those things. So that's our, the mindset needs to happen is that when we do these things, when we follow God's law, when we follow the Holy Spirit's guidance, we're doing these things not because like, oh, he's telling me to do this. No, it's like, it's my pleasure to do this because I love him so much, right? So that's kind of we're going to look into. So let's get into the meat of things. Let's go into the Exodus chapter 20 if you guys want to open, the, open it there. We're going to stay in Exodus. We're going to stay in the Old Testament for a little bit. Exodus chapter 20. 20. So Exodus chapter 20 starts off with, and God spoke all these words. So this is God speaking. Verse 2, and this is a important verse. This verse kind of sets up all the other commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He reminded this people who he was. He's not just some, some God that came to them and started demanding things. He was the one who saved them from slavery. He's the one who provided for them to get out of the slavery. He's the one who's been watching out for them. He cared for them. He loved for them. He's right there setting up the, the reason why these Ten Commandments are going to follow. It's, we, we can look even further, and you guys can stay in Exodus uh, chapter 20. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, he's talking to Moses. He says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. Do you hear the love that he has for them? So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of Egyptians and to bring them and and bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious, spacious land and land flowing with milk and honey. I don't know why would you want milk and honey flowing, but the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you. To Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. That's the love and care that our Heavenly Father has for us. That's the Heavenly Father love and care that He had for His people. These promises have been there all along. In Genesis chapter 17, in Genesis chapter 17, when He's talking to Abraham, Genesis 17, verse 8. It says, the whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. This, this plan of God being the God of Israel, the God of his people, has been set from the beginning. And now he found, saw, heard their cries, and he brought them out of Egypt, they brought, he brought them out of slavery, and he's reminding them, again, before he says these laws, before he tells you, hey, can you do this for me? I need you to do this. He says, this is why I'm asking you to do this, because I have loved you. I have cared for you. I have provided for you. 
Now all I'm asking back is these commandments. And we, we, we mentioned the 613 laws. Listen, the whole relationship with God and man started with one, right? Don't eat from the fruit, right? And we screwed that up. So he's like, all right, here's 10. Let's, let's stick with 10. And of course we know they screwed up. So he's like, all right, here's another 45. And they screwed up. He's like, all right, here's 600. At least get one of them right, please, right? So we're looking at these 10 commandments. We're like, oh, these are hard laws. And he's like, listen, if we would have just figured out that one, it would have been, <laughs> we would have stopped at one and that's it, right? So anyways, but it's just that reminder. And I, I love, I love in First John, and this is my, my last verse before we get into it. In First John, there's this wonderful short saying, First uh, John 4, verse 19. It says, we love because he first loved us. That, that's our mindset. Like anytime we want to be like, I love God so much and I want to do this. It's like, he loved us first. He loved us first. From Genesis to Revelation, we know that he loved us first. And we're going to reflect on that. So the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. So what we see here is that the, the term to say that you shall have no other gods before me. Now, it doesn't mean in front of him. What it, the, the term there is besides him. There should be no other gods beside him. He alone is God. He alone is sovereign. He alone is almighty. He alone is the creator. There are no other gods. There's no Vishnu. There's no Buddha. There's no, none of these other, they're, they're nothing before him. He, he alone is God. And he's telling them because he had just taken them out of Egypt. Egypt had a God for everything. Yeah. They had fertility gods. They had gods of death. They had gods of war. They had gods of every, everything that you can imagine. There was a God for it. And he's telling them that sort of life does no longer exist for you. You shall have no other gods. He and he alone. He wants an exclusive relationship. And this is, it's easier to understand if you put it in the terms of a, of a human uh, romantic relationship, right? You may have had other other uh, romantic partners. You may have had other relationships. But when you marry, um, you're exclusively married to that one individual. There's no other person who's invited into that relationship. And when God is making a covenant, it's very similar to the covenant that we make in marriage. There should be no one else involved in that relationship. You have to forget. You have to forget the relationships of your past. You can't compare him to the relationships of your past. He alone is your God. And the reason why he gets to say that is because, again, he was the God who loved us first. He is the God who delivered you, right? The reason that you're here today is because God acted first in your life. My husband just read um, how we love him because he first loved us. That while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And that is what moved our hearts was to know that there was a God who saw us. There was a God who loved us. There was a God who died for us to, to save us from our own sins. He saw your misery. He heard your cry. He, heard, he saw your tears and he reached out from heaven and you felt a conviction in your Holy Spirit to draw close to him. And so if you've heard that, then his, his commandment is the same. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Egypt being your sin. Egypt being your addiction. Egypt being your confusion, your depression, yes. your mess. 
And he calls you out of it, out of your land of slavery. You were, we were in bondage to sin and death. And he called us out of that same slavery. And because he's done that, he now has the exclusive right. No other God did that for you. Amen. Buddhism doesn't have the power to save. Taoism doesn't have the power to save. New Age can't save you. These, these other religions are powerless to do what God alone could do. And so he becomes a jealous God. Um, in Exodus thirty four fourteen, it says, Do not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. And we might tend to think that jealousy is something that is, is a negative thing. But it, what the word there is that he's zealous, he's passionate. Like he is, he is all into the relationship with you and he expects you to reciprocate and be fully committed to the relationship with him. He is a jealous God. He doesn't want to share you. He doesn't want you to go after other idols or other religions. Um, he wants your attention, your worship, your praise, and, and your, even your prayers and your petitions and your requests. He wants that attention all for himself and he will not share it with another. And he has the right to that because of what he's done for you. I mean, his grace is sufficient for you. He doesn't have to do anything else, but we are indebted to him uh, because of the love that he showed us first. Yeah. So kind of leading into our discussion and the focusing on this, how do we define God? Mm-hmm. If he says, I am your God, what does that mean? Right? What, what does that mean to you when, when that statement happens? So when we figure out what, how we define God, then now we can start finding out what other gods are in our lives. Because that's, that's something that we're very good at doing. And this is separation from the second commandment about idols, gods. We literally want to talk about that because he's, again, he commanded that I am the only God in your life. Right. You should not honor anybody else. So how do you define what God is? So one of the things is a a God in your life would be something that you worship, something that you give devotion to, something that you give affection and attention to. So in that way, you can have gods that are not not Vishnu, not Buddha, not these other things, but you can make your spouse into a God. You can make your job into a God. You can make your hobbies into a God. If you spend your time and you give your adoration and you give your devotion more to that than you do to the almighty creator. Um, another thing is that your, your prayers, um, do you, you know, some, some Christians even believe in praying to dead relatives. They believe in praying to saints. They believe in praying to, um, to Mary. These things are, are idolatry. And we just want to make that perfectly clear that. So one of the things that we do that, you know, it's a God is if you worship, um, a God is worthy of your worship. A God is also worthy of your prayers and your requests. And so if you're praying to anyone else except for the almighty God, then that is idolatry. And God will not share that with anyone else. Did you want to go to the other one? The other thing is your love, your, your love and your faith and your trust. So who are you putting your hope in? Uh, this is where your job can become a God in your life. If you are uh, someone who is a workaholic, is your job taking up more time and, and you say, I, I, you know, I want to be in prayer. 
I want to have some worship time. I want to have a devotion time where I read the scriptures every day, but I'm just too busy with work. Or man, I just, I have kids and I just don't have the time because the kids just are taking so much of my attention. Um, whatever. Or I'm just, I'm so stressed out by housework. I have so many things to do around the house. There's so many repairs. There's so many things. And we make excuses that we don't spend time with God because of these other things that are taking our time and attention. And those things are actually, we're putting other things before God. That's what he means. Don't put other things before me. I want to be your number one priority. I want to be your top, um, top devotion that you, you make time to spend with God before you make time even for your romantic partner, even before your children, you need to spend time. And I'm not saying that you neglect your family or that you neglect your job and you, you know, call your boss and say, sorry, I can't come in today because I'm just going to have, you know, eight hours of worship. Um, You know, that's, I mean, if you have a personal day and you feel convicted to do that, then do that. But you can't go to your boss and make an excuse that, you know, you're not coming into work ever because you just have to, you have to spend time, but it's organizing your time so that God is a priority that you are letting him know that you're going to spend some quality time with him where your sole focus is on God. And that may be for 15 minutes. It may be for half an hour. It may be something that you start off with five minutes because you don't have that as a regular discipline in your life. And you work your way up because at first those five minutes may seem like you're just bombarded by a million other thoughts and you can't focus and you can't hear from God. But as you develop the discipline, you'll start to hear God speaking to you. You'll start to read the scriptures. They'll start to make more sense to you. And God will begin to reveal himself to you. So that's why he's a jealous God, not because he needs your worship, not because he needs your prayers, not because he even needs that time with you. We don't worship a needy God, but we need that time. So he says, make me a priority, spend time with me because in that prayer closet, in that quiet time, you will be transformed. You will find the peace that you're looking for. You will find the, the joy that you're looking for. You will find the hope that you so desperately seek in his presence in his presence is where we're transformed yeah and i just want to add one last thing because uh, jesus kind of taught that to the rich young ruler um money like that i think that's one, one of those things like yeah our time and everything else but also our money for me for me as a biker um man how much money that you know I've spent on my motorcycle. Um, there, there's, there, there's times where, well, I need to buy this kit and I need to buy that, and, and my money goes into it, and all of a sudden, I don't have, I don't have uh, money to ta- take another bro- brother out for or for a time of fellowship or purchase something for to give to a shelter or to a homeless person or to tithe to my church because I've spent it all on, on my motorcycle, so. Even looking at that, I was like, I know there is time. There was time. Back in the days, right? Back in my other motorcycles. Uh, <laughs> where my motorcycle was more of a priority than me giving to the poor or to the, mm. or to the needy or even to, to my church. Just because that was, that was something important to me. And we have other things that we do that, right? Um, but even something like that, as you were talking about it, I, I kind of got convicted no and it says in in matthew matthew chapter six it says for where your treasure is there your heart will be also and again if we hear this commandment you shall have no other gods before me as a a, 
this is a proclamation of love saying that he he wants you and you alone and that you should reciprocate by desiring him and him alone where your treasure is that's where your heart is they always say if you want to know what someone really values look at their checkbook you know see where their see where their bank account see where their money is going is all your money going towards worldly things is all of your money going towards um selfish things you know and see where your priorities really fall uh because where your treasure is your heart that's where your heart is that's where your love is and he says in verse 24 of the same chapter no one can serve two masters either he will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other you cannot serve both god and money which just reiterates what my husband was saying so if if we have our the way that we steward our money as well as our time as well as our attention these are all things that kind of show us are we putting god first are we making him the number one priority in our lives does he have your time does he have your attention are you financially investing like he challenged the rich young man to go and give to the poor are we investing into you know missions are we investing into the there's people around the world who are who are starving who are homeless who are there's so much need in the world and yet sometimes we just hoard our wealth which is a blessing from god he blesses us to be a blessing to others and yet we hold on to that blessing and we hoard it for ourselves and that's a sign that we have made money into a into an idol amen amen thank you for spending time with us during this episode we pray that this teaching blessed you and brought you closer to understanding god if you'd like to contact us please email us at corechurch242 at gmail.com until next time, know you are loved and covered in prayer.